Well, I don't know about you. As we talk about and think about prayer, one of the challenges personally that I have uh, when it comes to prayer is what do you actually pray for? Like, how do you actually decide what you're going to think about praying about? So I don't know if you've ever thought about that question, but like what makes it onto your list of stuff to pray for? And how do you make that decision? So the question that I want us to kind of think about is, how do you know what's actually legitimate to pray for or about, and what isn't legitimate to pray for or about? Like, what about world events? Where do you even start to pray for the world and what's going on? What about your own life? What do you pray for? Do you pray you'll win the lottery? Should you pray your kids get into that amazing teacher's class next year? Is it legitimate to pray that your favorite political party will get elected and the other people won't? (laughs) Should you pray about the weather? I know that was happening in our house this week. Oh, Lord, grant us yet another snow day, my children were praying. (sighs) Is it a legitimate use of prayer to ask God for a parking space out in front of my house because of the weather, because my neighbors up the street shoveled all of their snow from the sidewalk into the street so that you can't park there, not the way that Jesus intended, and that is you take the snow from your sidewalk and you put it on your lawn so that you can park on the sidewalk where you park on the street where you're supposed to be parking. Should you pray for a parking spot then when you come home? How do you know if that should make the list or not? How big Or how urgent does a concern need to be in our lives before I bring it up with Jesus? Well, we've been in a teaching series here uh, at Jericho called Pray Like This. And we're going through what is perhaps the most famous prayer in history, sometimes known as the Lord's Prayer. And we're going through line by line. Because I find with myself, what often happens is I just breeze through it and I don't actually pause to think about what I am praying about. And this is part of, for us here at Jericho, a real goal and an emphasis over the next two years that we have as elders and staff to help all of us, from those of us who are just exploring faith uh, to those who've walked the journey for a long time, to really grow in our intentionality and our capacity around prayer. And thankfully, When he was walking the earth, Jesus' disciples asked him good questions about prayer, and he answered them, and then they wrote it down so that we have reflected back for us in the text of scriptures and in the gospels some clear instructions, because Jesus actually said, very specifically, when his disciples said, how should we pray? He said, ah, pray like this, and here's the text of the prayer from Matthew 6 in the New Living. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us, deliver us from the evil one. So remember that This prayer is not given to us as a mantra, just something empty that we should repeat and somehow that obligates Jesus to do something for us. But it's given to us not as a mantra, but as a model to help us understand 
how to pray and what to pray for. So that means we should pay attention to the overall flow and structure of the prayer because it can and should guide us in thinking about our own prayers. So the prayer begins with, we've talked about, and sets the tone for praising God, declaring who God is, reminding us that God is our Father and therefore that He loves to have us approach us as His children. We praise God because He's holy. We're reminding ourselves when we come to prayer that we are in conversation with God who is all-powerful. And this is not a cavalier exercise that we come into the presence of the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. And then the prayer moves and shifts from praising God to placing ourselves under God's kingdom and authority. So we begin to pray things like, may your, pray, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done. And we're reminding ourselves that we need to know what's on the heart of the king. That we, prayer's not just about contemplation, but also about action. That when we pray and invite God's will to be done, that we're privileged to partner with him in that exercise. And so we become conduits of the kingdom's power and love. And we could stop right there and be done and think that's a lot of richness already in prayer and in our prayer lives. And I feel like for me, I'm still working on those areas. Those are the weak areas in prayer for me. And so I'm remembering, and this is being helpful for me to actually remind myself to lift up my eyes and pray in faith to God who is powerful and, and pray big prayers and more expansive prayers, prayers of worship and divine adoration. But one of the things that I love about Jesus' class or master class on prayer is that he focuses not only on these things, developing and deepening our relationship with him, but also that he's intimately concerned with the details and stuff of real life. And that he invites us actively to bring those things to him in prayer. And so we move now into a part in the prayer where we're asking God specifically for things that we need. We're asking him for provision. And these are the prayers probably that you and I think of when we pray or when we go into a posture of prayer. God, I need this. God, can you help me with that? God, what about this? And this is where actually Matthew 6, 11 is perhaps one of the most intriguing parts of the pray like this prayer. Because Jesus just lays it out for us and says, yep, when you pray, pray and ask God for daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Or in the New Living Translation, give us today the food that we need. And I love how basic this is, just how granular it is and how practical it is. See, when we think about the bread that we need for today, in the ancient world, bread was the primary food for people. So whenever bread is mentioned in the Bible, it's significant because bread represents that which is necessary to sustain life. It's basic, but that's kind of the point. It's basic necessity. That God, when he's inviting us to say, God, I, I need today 
daily bread. He's asking us to pray very specifically, not just about our spiritual lives and about all of these big things, but he's saying to us, yep, right down to the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, water, warmth, rest, daily bread kind of stuff represents all that's needed to sustain our day-to-day lives. And so we're invited to bring those parts of our lives to God because he cares about them. What to you or I sometimes seem like trivialities. I love the way one of my favorite authors on the spiritual life, Richard Foster, puts this in his book. And I'd recommend his book to you. It's called Prayer, Finding Heart's True Home. And he says this, Try to imagine what our prayer experience would be like if Jesus had forbidden us to ask for the little things. What if the only things we were allowed to talk to God about were weighty matters, the important things and profound issues? It would feel like we would be orphaned in the cosmos, cold and terribly alone. But when Jesus says, pray and ask God for daily bread, the opposite is true. He welcomes us with our a thousand and one trifles, for they are each important to him. Give us this day our daily bread. So when we pray and we say, God, I'm asking you for daily bread. When we pray this prayer, Jesus is saying, come to God. Come to me, ask me to provide what you need to sustain you by meeting the needs that you have for today. I'm challenged by this because oftentimes I just go in to my day and I don't actually think about very actively what I need for that day. I figure I'll figure it out when I get there. And so I just move into the day and And don't actually pause and think carefully. And if I don't know what I need for that day, I certainly don't think about asking God to meet those needs in that day. Some of you are better at this than I am. Some of you are much better also um, at another weakness in this. Some of you are really good at asking God to meet the daily needs of other people around you but not paying attention to what needs that God might want to meet or need to meet in your life in a day-to-day basis. This is not, however, a new prayer problem or challenge that is unique. In fact, there's a powerful story in the Old Testament about bread and God's provision. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 16. And at this point in the story of a people of God, They've left Egypt, they're beginning their sojourn or their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they begin to come up against a very natural, very normal question, and that is, um, we're a million people going to spend 40 years in a desert with no Costco within discernible distance. This could be a problem for us. And so, they begin to do what you or I would have done in that situation. They complain to leadership. Moses, you brought us to this place. What are we supposed to do? How is God going to provide for a million plus of us kicking around in this place for 40 years? And Moses 
brings this to God, and God actually provides their daily bread needs in the most creative and unique way. The next morning, it says, after their complaint, when they got up, there was a layer of dew all over the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted, there on the wilderness ground was a fine, flaky something called Uh, like a frost, fine, like frost on the ground. And the Israelites took one look at it and said to one another, manna. And manna in their language means, what is it? (laughs) Because they had no idea what it was. And so manna was actually what they called it. What is it? And they called it bread from heaven. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 16, verse 16 in the message translation. Moses told them when they said manna, What is it? Uh, This is the bread that God has given you to eat. So these are God's instructions. Gather enough for each person, about two quarts per person. Gather enough for everyone in your tent. The people of Israel went to work. They started gathering. Some gathered more, some gathered less, but they measured out what they gathered. And those who gathered more had no extra. And those who gathered less were not short. Every person had exactly as much as was needed. Interesting. And Moses says to them, God's instructions are don't leave any of it until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. A few of them kept some back for the next morning, thinking God may not do this again tomorrow. So at least I'm going to try and figure this stuff out. And it's here now. I might as well grab some of it now. Because if God doesn't fulfill his end of the bargain, at least I'll have a little bit stashed away. But they didn't listen to Moses. Few of them kept back. And the stuff that they kept back got wormy and moldy and smelled bad. And Moses lost his temper with him. They gathered it up every morning, verse 21. Each person according to their need. Then the sun came up and it melted. On the sixth day, the instruction was gather twice as much as they need, four quarts per person. And so the leaders came and said to Moses, "Um, Moses, uh, this is going to be a problem because remember on day one when we gathered more than two quarts per person and some of us stashed it because we didn't trust God that he was going to provide the next day. And now you're telling us to actually do that. But like on day one, it got moldy overnight. So how is this supposed to work itself out? I'm unclear. And Moses said, listen, Tomorrow is the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. And so what we're doing is whatever you plan to bake, bake it today. Whatever you plan to boil, boil it today. Set aside the leftovers until morning and watch what God does. So they did. They set aside what was left until morning. And it didn't smell bad. And it didn't have any worms in it because God provided And Moses said, okay, now it's time to eat it. This is the Sabbath for God. You are not going to find any of it on the ground today. Gather it every day for six days. But the seventh day, there will never be any manna on the ground. But on the seventh day, because their people, some of the people went out to gather it anyways. And they didn't find any. And now Moses wasn't mad. Now God was actually mad. God said to Moses, how long are you going to disobey my commands and not follow my instructions? Don't you see? I have given you the Sabbath. 
On the sixth day, Moses said, God gives you bread for two days. So each of you, stay home. Don't leave home on the seventh day. So the people then got the point, quit working on the seventh day. And then the Israelites finally decided to name it manna. What is it? It looked like a coriander seed, kind of whitish, and it tasted like a cracker with honey. So over the 40 years that the people of God wandered in the wilderness between Egypt and the time that God gave them and took them into the land that he'd promised them, God literally fed his people with bread from heaven. It appeared each morning, six days of the week. There was enough for everyone and if there was, they redistributed. Some collected more and said, here, this is more, more than enough. I have more than enough. This is for you. It didn't keep overnight, except on the sixth day when they gathered that double portion so they could enjoy that day of rest. And this happened every single week for 40 years. Bread from heaven. You might say, well, Brad, that's a nice history lesson. What in the world does manna have to do with me? I mean, I did not wake up this morning, and last time I checked, little white wafers were not materializing on the dew and the snow outside of my residence six days a week. What about this bread from heaven business? Well, that's not God's provision for us here and now. But the why question, why did God send them the manna? is something that has importance for you and I because it applies to each and every one of us. So when the children of Israel asked, hey, why did God do that for us? Moses explained in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, Moses said this, God fed you with manna in the wilderness. You want to know why he did it? He did it to humble you. And he did it to test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourself, Huh, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Verse 18, remember the Lord your God. Because he is the one who gives you the power to be successful. In other words, God met their daily needs in order to remind them that He is the one who was meeting their daily needs for them and for you and for me. Psalm 104 actually pushes this even a little bit further. And if you read it, it reminds us that God even actually does this for the animals and for all of creation. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, reminds us that God in His grace provides rain and provides things to both the just and the unjust. In other words, He feeds those who acknowledge that it's Him, but He also cares for those who do not acknowledge Him. Ray Stedman in his classic book on prayer reminds us somewhat poetically that when it comes to daily bread, you might put the ingredients together and pop the loaf in the oven, but in back of the loaf is the snowy flower, and in back of the flower, the mill, and back of the mill is the field of wheat, the rain, and ultimately, the Father's will. 
In other words, everything you and I have, everything that we have been entrusted with, everything that is provided to us can be traced back to the gracious hand of a loving Heavenly Father. Everything. And so when we bow our heads and when we pray and say, God, would you give us today the food that we need? One of the things that we're actively doing is acknowledging that God is our source and our provider and asking him to yet again stir up humble gratitude for that and his provision in our hearts. And so it seems actually like one of the most simple lines in the prayer, yeah, 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 we've got needs. We pray and ask that God would meet them. But it's actually one of the most profound lines in the prayer because it protects us from two equally dangerous ditches. And there were lots of opportunities for me to pull photos from cars falling into ditches from this week, but I chose not to, just in case it was any of you. <sighs> So there's two ditches that we can fall into that this part of the Pray Like This prayer actually prevents us from getting caught in. Ditch number one, or mistake number one, is the ditch of self-sufficiency. See, it's pretty easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at this providing for my needs thing. I mean, I've got a decent job, I've think and started saving up for the future. I'm upwardly mobile with regards to my career. My kids aren't sociopaths, so I think I have the parenting thing down okay. In terms of needs, we have more than enough bread on the table. Sometimes we actually eat steak. And so we fall into the lie of thinking, huh, yeah, I'm pretty good at this providing for the needs thing. And we fall into the lie of thinking we have done this. That we have been such responsible stewards and orchestrated all that is ours. And the things just so. But remember the story of the manna and the reason why God gave it to them. And when they said, God, why did you provide our needs in that way? God very specifically said this. I did this. I have provided for your needs so that you will never say, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. Because He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. You see, when you think that you've done this, when you think that you're the one who's done it all, you've worked hard, one of the gates that that opens is an opportunity for pride to take residence in your life. And when that happens, watch out. Because one of the actual unique lies of suburbia is the lie of self-sufficiency. And it's much harder for us to unwind ourselves in our culture and in our settings from that lie. And so one of the ways I think the gifts that God has given to us is the pray like this prayer where we just say, God, I just got to get back to reminding myself every day that you are my provider. And so this pray like this prayer becomes a prayer of radical dependence on God. Dependence that says, you know what, God? Without the strength that you provide, I wouldn't have anything. 
without the strength in the resources that you have given to me, without the, the situations that you've placed me in, without all of the things that God has given to you to steward. Without that, without his grace, you wouldn't have a thing. And so this prayer becomes a prayer of radical humility and radical dependence, declaring our dependence on God. See, when this prayer is on your lips, when you say, God, I need bread for today, you're saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I need your provision. I need your provision, not just for my physical needs. I need provision for my emotional needs. I depend on you, Lord, for breath, for life, for guidance, for hope for the future, for grace for today. Lord, I need you today. Provide my needs, Lord, today. This is why the prayer is for daily bread, not weekly intake. D.L. Moody said it this way, a man or a person can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take in sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Daily bread. How good at you are how good are you at expressing need? Some of us are not good at that. Some of us feel that if we express need, especially to people around us, that that would look like weakness. Prayer for daily bread is a prayer saying, I don't have bread. I need something. And so some of you need to actually get over your pride and get over yourselves and let your guard down and let other people into your life. Some of you actually need to repent of embracing a spirit of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And one of the beautiful gifts that God's given us to do this is actually thanksgiving. Asking God to give you a spirit of thanksgiving to counteract that sense of self-sufficiency. Developing a habit in your life of slowing down and actually paying attention and noticing what has God been up to. Big things and little. And saying, God, I'm so grateful and thankful that you have provided this for me. Or this for us. When we pause and we remember and we thank God, it helps yank us up out of that ditch of self-sufficiency. So what are you grateful for today? What has God done in you, around you, and through you? Tell him, offer prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving when we move into our time of worship and response. And then for some of you, this getting over self-sufficiency, again, means that you need to have the humility to tell other people that you have needs. And you need to let them do the work that we're instructed to do in Galatians, where it says, bear one another's burdens. I cannot bear your burdens if I do not know your burdens. 
People around you cannot share in the life and the community and the, the gifts that God has given to them to pour into your life if you do not express need. Have the humility to tell other people around you that you need them. Some of you, this is why you don't go for prayer when we open it up. Because you think, oh, as soon as I stand up and walk over there, everybody's going to think to themselves, Whoo, they must have a need in their life. That is exactly the point. That is exactly what you're declaring in that moment. And that is exactly what we're here for, is to bear each other's burdens. And so some of you just need to make a more regular practice of saying, I need to get over what other people think about me and I'm going to go for prayer. I'm going to invite other people into places of need in my life and in my world. So that's ditch number one, the ditch of self-sufficiency. On the other side of the road is another ditch that we can fall into, especially if we overcorrect for the ditch of self-sufficiency. And that is the ditch of a poverty mentality. See, this is why Jesus starts the prayer in a very particular way way. He doesn't teach us to start our prayers with, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, I need this. Need, actually, we're at the place where we're expressing needs to God now, but that's not where we start. When Jesus teaches us how to approach the Father, he starts with us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, before the prayer even begins, and he says this, your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. And so when you pray, pray like this. God, Father, Abba, Papa, we come to you as the one who knows our needs already. We come to you as our Father, one who longs and loves to give good gifts to your children. And we also approach you as the one who's the ruler, sustainer, and provider for every living thing. Then we get to a place where we're expressing our needs because we know who we're in conversation with. But here's how you know if you skidded off the road and into the ditch of a poverty mentality, you actually do not believe that God can meet your needs. You believe that God's arm is too short to save or that God doesn't care about something that's going on in your life. And you begin to doubt his care and his provision. Maybe God doesn't actually want to provide for me or for others. And see, what happened to the people in, in their wandering time is when they believed that they only had enough provision for one day, they got stingy and they began to hoard stuff because they thought, I don't think God can provide for me for tomorrow, so I better take this on myself. And whenever you begin to be stingy, and fall into the ditch of a poverty mentality, that is a direct affront to God's generosity and His provision. God, your Father, knows your needs. Think back to the manna. The text notes specifically that some collected more, some less, but when they measured out what they'd gathered, those who gathered more had no extra, and those who gathered less were not short. Each person had as much as they needed. See, when you begin to hoard stuff, time, talent, resources, money, from the basis of being unsure if God has an ability to provide more of that for you, 
it becomes rotten and stinky. Friend, do not let a poverty mentality settle into your heart that God does not have enough goodness to go around and that he will not meet your needs. Some of you are telling yourself, oh yeah, sure, God's good to some people, but not to me. Some of you have let a poverty mentality settle into your finances and you think, well, I better hold back on what God's telling me to be radically generous because if I give this away, there's nothing left and I don't think God can provide. I love where Paul goes in this conversation on radical generosity and he challenges us to consider the radical generosity of God in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 and he says to people who are stuck in poverty thinking, he says, you know what? You need to believe something different about God. The same God who takes care of me, Paul says, will supply all of your needs and he's going to do that from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, if the antidote to the ditch of self-sufficiency is thanksgiving, the antidote to this ditch is asking God to give you a spirit of generosity. God is going to provide your needs, friends, because he has riches in the storehouses of heaven to do so. And don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not some kind of prosperity gospel. This is simply a faith-fueled confidence that God knows what you need. He may not fulfill all of your wants. It's daily bread that we're promised to pray for, not daily ribeyes. But do not fall into the trap of thinking that God will short you. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 points out that place to go when we get stuck in that thinking. It points out one place where the depth and the breadth and the generosity of God finds its most wonderful expression in the giving of himself. In the NIV, Romans 8.32 says, since he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will God the Father not also along with him graciously give us all things. What will he graciously give us? Some things? A few things? All things. Do not believe the lie that your heavenly father is a poor provider when he says he has given you all things that you need. The team's going to come and they're going to lead us into a time of worship. And we're going to celebrate communion. And one of the elements that Jesus particularly chose for communion is bread. And that's no accident. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus actually says to his followers, I am the bread of life. And in doing this, he's saying the exact same thing as he reiterated us and invited us to pray in the pray like this prayer. I am your sustainer. I am your provider. I am and I have all that you need. I am your 
daily bread. I am the bread of life. And so as we move into a time of communion, the way that we do that here at Jericho is that the tables are open at the sides. We'll have people available uh, that will be there to serve you. And whenever you feel that you're ready, you can move and just partake uh, the bread that represents, again, Jesus as the sustainer of all that you need. And then the cup that represents his blood that was shed on the cross to buy freedom and liberty and open up the wellspring of God's generosity for us. And so I'd invite you to stand with me as we move into a time of sung worship. Uh, prayer teams will be available at the side. Meg and I will be over here at this side. Uh, Constance will be available with Katie over at that side. And if people are praying with us, then others are available. If you want to just move and begin to pray with somebody that God puts on your heart, please feel a freedom and a liberty to do that. The table is open. And when you come and you take that bread, do so with that lens and say, God, I take this as a declaration of faith that you are my provider and the source of all. Thank you for what you have done for me and what you have given me. Let's worship together.